0: Welcome, Nexus Church Family Online, to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us... Go to NexusChurchMN.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing NexusChurchMN at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series, The Book of Mark, where we're investigating the life of Jesus and applying it to our daily lives. Last week, we looked at the example of a poor widow who gave generously, and we examined what that means to live a generous life for ourselves. And now this week, we're going to be really shifting, if you will, uh, into a long passage. We went from a very short few verses to now a whole chapter where Jesus discusses what we call the end times, where he will come back and end this current situation that we're in, uh, the time between his ascension, where he went to be back with the Father, and when he comes back again to take us home with him, and really transform the way this world works. So we're going to, need to be examining what the end times looks like through this encounter, and then we'll take a couple of other passages in time into the this as well, to kind of bring in the fullness of what the end times or the time when Jesus returns looks like. So let's dig in. This is Mark chapter 13, and we begin with a prophetic message. This is what we call prophetic, that being we are looking into the future, but it was prophetic for them, but it wasn't for us. It isn't for us. Because this has already happened. So, trying to set you up for what's about to come. So, verse 1 of Mark 13 says, As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones. These are large stones that no human can move. And what impressive buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And so we begin this passage a couple of verses in with the disciples looking at the temple that was finally approaching completion. This has been something that was in the makings for 80 years. 80 years the Romans were helping to build the temple. And according uh, to many historians, it was made of such beautiful, ornate gold, or if it wasn't made out of gold, it was made out of ivory. It was so fresh, it was so bright, it was so magnificent that when the light would shine from it, that being the sun, it would potentially blind a person if you looked at it just right. So this was a beautiful Beautiful building. However, as we also read in history, it wasn't that long after, approximately 40 years, that that same building was destroyed. Many of the disciples that were with Jesus at that time were already dead. They didn't get to see it actually tore down, but some did. Some were able to witness the destruction of the temple. It was a sad moment, right? It took 80 years to build. And upon completion, it only took 40 years for it to be destroyed, leveled to the ground because of the Israelites' revolts on the Romans. And so with these These words that Jesus prophesied, many people who were reading this when this book was written and it got into people's hands, they'd already experienced the fact that the temple was destroyed. And so when they were reading this, their ears were perked. They were ready because this had already passed. And so what Jesus was about to proclaim to those who were now reading it for the first time, this was something that was imminent for them. When they read these words, unlike for us today, where it's now 2,000 years in the the history books, these people were reading it as it seemed to be happening. This was reality for them. They were truly anticipating the return of Jesus, right? Even though he had already just ascended, they were expecting him to return just uh, as quickly as he left them. And so we go into uh, more of his teaching on what they thought was about to happen any time and what truly we, likewise, should be anticipating. So while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, now this is just a beautiful picture, right? Think of on the other side of a valley, right? On this little mount, looking at this beautiful, magnificent temple. And Jesus spoke. He spoke after Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. They went up to him, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are all the beginning of earth pains. Let's just pause there for a second. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be wars, even rumors of wars. There's going to be natural disasters. But all this is not the end. It's kind of like birthing pains, right? We call these Braxton Hicks where, where a, a lady is, is fully feeling as if she's about to give birth, but it ends up being a false pain false illusion of the end of this process of of giving birth to a child is about to come. It's just a false illusion that it's about to happen. And Jesus was saying, you guys are so ready. The persecution is going to be real. You're going to be put up on stakes. They didn't, of course, know that yet, but they would. You're going to be burned. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put through so much anguish. But this is not the end. It's just illusion." Goes on. But you be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all the nations so that when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at the time. For it isn't you speaking but the holy spirit brother will betray brother to the end and father his child children rise up against parents and have them put to death you will be hated by everyone because of my name but the one who endures to the end will be saved not only will you hear of rumors of of wars no long no more there will be Just this craziness going on, natural disasters will be happening all over. And then on top of that, you're going to be persecuted. You will be running for your life. Which, of course, these people who were reading it were. They were running for their lives. They were going throughout the land trying to escape persecution. That's how the gospel spread. They took this literally. If you read the book of Acts, they were spread, and the gospel reached to the far ends of that known land at the time. They proclaimed the gospel. They would be given the Holy Spirit. They would proclaim the good news, and we are as well. This wasn't just for them, remember. This is for us. When the end times come, we can expect wars. We can expect natural disasters. We can expect persecution, which, of course, we see all those things throughout the world. Maybe not so much here, but we see it. It's to be expected. But Jesus says something. It is necessary. These things are necessary so that the gospel will be preached to all the nations. This is to be expected. We'll come back to that a little later. But he gives us also a promise. That he's not going to leave us powerless. He's going to give us the Holy Spirit. Well, then we get to the end finally. Right? So Jesus kind of gives us a little synopsis of what was to happen in the imminent future, like right now. That that temple was going to be destroyed. Judaism was going to be dispersed across the world. And then he gives us this, this kind of hint of how the world was going to react after that. This kind of you went from the imminent future to now the kind of broad future. And now Jesus gets to the end end when things really start to happen in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation, desolation easy for me to say, standing where it should not be, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains a man on the housetop must not come down or go into get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to the pregnant woman and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter. For those will be the days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. The Lord not had cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then, if anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, see there, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I've told you everything advanced. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So what is this abomination of desolation, right? Like that's what he starts out with. Be aware, because when that happens, the things Beyond that, really, like, there is nothing a person can do. Like, when that dude, whoever that is, steps onto the stage, there is panic. There is mayhem. Things get real for those that are on earth. We have to look back at where this term came from. It originated in Daniel when he talks about the abomination of desolation and between the Old Testament and New Testament, something happens between those testament those testaments, that kind of that, that silent years between when everybody goes into this kind of I don't know, you would call it dispersion. They get kicked out of their land and they're wandering around and then they start coming back. If something happens to the temple. Antiochus sacrifices a pig the ultimatum in, in desolation like swine is one of those abominations that god said that the israelites must not eat and it was sacrificed on the altar and not only that but then there was an idol that was attributed in that temple now, for many who were reading this that's where their their minds ultimately went. But, as the readers now were reading into the future and they had already seen the the desolation of the temple, they were seeing that as a form of the Romans destroying the temple and the things that they had did to desecrate that that inner place where god's presence dwelled in the holy of holies but yet though they were looking at it through those eyes, Jesus' statement points to the future. Because ultimately what was to happen after the abomination of desolation came was that God, as we read in this passage, was to come back for his people and that did not happen. There was to be this, this great kind of unraveling of just desolation upon the land where, where the, the sacrifice would happen once again, where there would be somebody in the temple and doing what was abominable to God in his presence. Well, the temple was no more. The thing that they were pointing to was already gone and done, and, and though there was a lot of things happening, ultimately God didn't come back and so there was still at this time a birthing pain that wasn't for them yet now paul writes about this years later from this account and i want to read to you from second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 he writes now concerning the coming of the lord jesus christ in our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by prophecy, that is speaking about what things are to happen, this this fascination over the end times, if you will, or by the message or by the letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in this way, right? So there is this deception somehow that what had happened with the Romans taking away the temple and burning it and just demolishing Jerusalem, that that the day of the Lord had already come and that they'd missed it. And now there's this this fear that these people were not right with God and they were going to spend eternity separated from Jesus. There was a false teaching. And Paul's like, no, don't listen to them. It is yet to come. Don't let anyone deceive you in this way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposed and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. There hasn't been that person yet. You guys think that it was this person, but it's not happened yet. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this and you know that currently What currently restrains him so that when he will be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, right? Pointing to this fact that that there is things going on. There's, again, what Jesus called this birthing pain that is occurring right now. But it's not yet done. It's not yet the time. It's already at work, this lawlessness, this mystery. The one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. Like there is is a season that God is allowing this this little bit of lawlessness to happen. He's, He's still allowing this to happen, but God is still here. He is still indwelling his people. The presence of God has not been removed from this world yet. And then, the lawless one will reveal. revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working and with all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. So all that all will be condemned; those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. So we are living in this season of what Paul called the mystery of lawlessness. It's been a long season, right? From the day that Jesus went to be with the Father to the ascension, until the day He removes His hand from this lawless lawlessness—one, this Antichrist—all. All suppressed by God. When that day is revealed, we'll see who's really behind it all. The enemy, Satan. But this day is yet to come. We are living in the time of this mystery of the lawlessness. Rumors of wars. Wars. Brother against brother. Father against son. Family members divided. Polarization, false assumptions, confusion. It's all happening. And it seems to be getting darker and darker, right? It's getting worse as the day approaches. But then Jesus goes into this closing statement where he uses two different kind of parables, two different kinds of teaching to tell us one simple truth. Be ready. Be ready. Verse 28. Learn this lesson from the tree, fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You can look around, just like the season, and know that when we see these things happening, the end is near. It's the Braxton Hicks. (laughs) It's it's the movement towards the birthing process. His return, it's happening. The figs are blooming. It's in front of us. And now Jesus says something here about this generation not passing away. Now, for many people, they get tripped up on that, and they they start thinking, well, clearly (laughs) that generation has passed away, right? It's been long gone. Have we missed it? Kind of like Paul was talking about, this generation passed away, we missed it, it's over. Let me remind you that Jesus lives outside of time. He is eternal. He doesn't have time wrapped up into his being. He created it. He lives above it. He doesn't exist within it. He exists outside of it. And he steps into time when he so chooses. He is God. No, that's hard to um, to understand. But I guess Tyndale put it this way: He said, "No event stands between the ascension and the second coming." Right? For God, no event stands between His ascension and His second coming. For Him, it's eternally near. It's good. He lives outside of time. Let's read. This from 2 Peter. This is probably a passage you've heard uh, preached before. Maybe if you've listened to a it, message on the end times. But we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and following. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. And in verse 3, he says, Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires saying, where is his coming that he promised? Isn't that just nailing that thought? The generation passed away. It didn't happen. What's going on? Peter's like, they've been saying that forever. They don't want to believe. Their hearts totally rejected God and anything from him. He continues, ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this, right? So now he begins. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through the, these, the world of the, this time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He's really laying it up. This is where I wanted to go. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. He lives outside of time. And a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay. Right? He he doesn't live in time. Stop it. Here's the point. He gets that. But is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, to eternal life, to understanding that they need Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers. That's why he's waiting. He doesn't want any to not have an opportunity to accept that. But the day of the Lord will come. It'll come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved, the fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Heaven and earth will pass away. His word would not fail. He will come back. He promised. He has never ever failed his promises. He will come. He will come. Now concerning that day or hours is verse 32 of Mark 13 as we close. No one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commended the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowning of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Be alert. And so, friends, as we wrap up this time together, what are the main points here that we should take away? There's so much. We could could just sit on one of these for the next four weeks and just go over every single one of them and apply them to our life. I just want to mention them in passing. And then I want to close with some warnings that I've seen in the Christian world in the last few years. But here's our main points. Expect difficult times. Right? Expect them. Jesus said in this passage, you will go through difficulties. Right? John 16.33, what does he say? <laughs> In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will find difficulties as the day approaches. Number two, we must be prepared. (laughs) Be prepared. That's what he says over and over in that last few verses. Be alert. Be prepared. I have given you a job to do. Be ready. Peter said the same thing. Paul says the same thing. Be ready. You don't know. Be prepared, and lastly, be filled with the Spirit and do your work as a witness. Whatever God has given you to do, do it with all you've got as if it's the last day you have to do it. And most importantly, share the love of Jesus, right? That is what we're called to do. Share the love of Jesus. And as we, again, come to an end, a couple of warnings. Number one, I've seen this a lot. And I believe that it is something that is somewhat <laughs> taught in the Bible, but not in the way people take it. And that is that we Are to somehow usher in God's kingdom by overtaking and and, in in really almost going into battle for Jesus in the sectors of society that that are powerful. That being, let me give you some examples: government, education, business, media, arts. Goes on, you know, right? There's a place of power, we are to overtake it and win it over to Jesus so that his kingdom, can, when he comes back, he can come back to his church alive and, and empowered. I've heard that. And yes, yes, I absolutely agree. We should have influencers in all aspects of society. It's important. Why? Because we have a job to do win the lost, who don't know Jesus. But I don't read anywhere in the Bible That in the end times, we somehow overtake all sectors of society. And we have this almost takeover of the world. Only Jesus does that. We are to be prepared and we are to live a holy life, which we'll get to in a second. That doesn't mean that we somehow take over. The the texts that we read today do not indicate that. It indicates that we are going to be persecuted. That we're going to be belittled. That we're going to become the minority. Much like what we see in third world countries where they're being persecuted. That's what I see in scriptures as the day approaches. It'll get darker. Getting more evil. Things will get worse. Morgan put it this way, and I'll kind of hash it out because it's a little older way of saying things. He said, our Lord's outlook upon this age was not that of one in which there should be a gradual cessation of strife between the nations. By the victory of the preaching of his gospel until the whole earth should be reduced by that preaching to a condition of peace. What he's saying is that in the end, We're not going to find this world as a place of peace because we brought Jesus to it. Now, we will bring that to individuals, but as the day approaches, what he is saying is that things will get worse. The birthing pains will come. And when the abomination comes, it will be, as Jesus pointed out, a time to run, time to find cover. Until then, we keep fighting we ultimately know that persecution will come. The message of Jesus, though, get this, get this. Though all of this is, is scary, though all of this must put us to our knees and pray for strength and for the Holy Spirit to empower, listen to this. When the days get dark and things are so distraught, the light of Jesus will shine so much brighter. And though people's hearts may be hardened, there will be no doubt that the love of Jesus will be a convictor and a change of life. It will be a massive move of the Holy Spirit upon people's lives because they'll see it. And even the hardest of all hearts will know deep down inside that's the way to go. Jesus is the answer. Well, last concern I have is for this fixation that people have on the end times, on the signs or the details of his return. And they get so caught up in looking at what the Bible says and trying to tie it to things that are happening in this world. Now, there's And there's nothing wrong with with wanting to understand the end times, but their fixation on trying to figure out how things play out and how things will happen is overstepping their bounds. This is God's ultimate word. Anything added to it is not truth. It can have elements of truth, but ultimately only God's word is all source for truth. We have to stand upon that and not on other man's words. Jesus said extremely clearly that only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son. Only the Father knows. Matthew 13, 32. Peter put it that way. This way, I should say. Since all things are to be dissolved in this way, we don't know. It is clear that what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Only the Father knows that day. Our job is to be prepared to live in holiness. To live in such a way that when people see us, they see Jesus and they're drawn to Him. Our conduct points people to the Father. Cole powerfully summarized the Second Coming is designed to promote action more than contemplation, more than fixation, if you will. And that action is to be growth in holiness. So today, as We live in this chaotic world where polarization and hatred is is abounding and it appears as if darkness is, is coming over us heavier and heavier. I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Much like those who are reading this book for the first time after it was put together. Every day could be his return. Are you ready? We are called not to be in a panic about it, but to live as if today was our last day. Because it changes everything. When we realize that what God has given us is a gift, it is to be cherished and to be celebrated. Today, when you give your life to Jesus, admit those areas in your life that you have failed in, ask him to forgive you of those things. Will you give him your life every day? Will you give him your life? Say, my life is not my own. It is yours, Jesus. And when you come back, I want to be in your presence for all of eternity. Father, I pray for those listening today. This passage is a, a heavy one. God, it's a good one. And I expect, Father, that you are going to touch lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. You will empower these words to touch hearts and touch minds. That they will see that in the end, Father, what really matters is our relationship with you. This earth will pass away and everything in it, as Peter said. The only thing that remains is you and us in eternity. We can either live with you or live cast out from your presence and into the presence of the evil one for all of eternity. God, I'm asking and I'm praying and believing, God, that you will change hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Nexus Church, if you have any more questions out there, I encourage you to email us at nexuschurchmn.com or reach us at nexuschurchmn.com. You'll find all the information you need there or you can email us at nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. We can connect with you there. You can also go to our Facebook page and you can direct message us as well. We're here for you. We want to be there with you as you process what this means to be a follower of Jesus. We'll see you again real soon.